Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wind here alongside Christian Clark. We are presented today by Inwego, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver with promo code BSN50. Monday edition of the show, we're recording here fresh off a Nuggets Sunday practice. Before we get going, a couple things I want to remind you guys about. If you have a second, we'd really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. It only takes a couple seconds to do. Head on over to iTunes, hit that five-star rating on the BSN Nuggets podcast. We appreciate the support pumping out this podcast five days a week for you guys. Also, later this week at some point, we'll be recording a best of 2018 edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast going over the best games, the best moments, maybe the best quotes, maybe the best predictions. I don't know if you saw Christian, but Austin Rivers signed with the Rockets Sunday afternoon officially. Another one down for me. Oh, we're doing a best prediction segment? Maybe. Convenient. But um, we'll try not to get any of your summer league predictions in there. Uh, But if you guys have nominations for the best of 2018 pod, whether it's a memory from this calendar year, from January through now, a game, a highlight, a quote, Hit me on Twitter, send me an email, wind at bsndenver.com, and we'll take your nominations. We'll be putting together a list this week and then recording that podcast sometime over the next couple of days. But here's where I want to start, Christian. You never quite know what the vibe is going to be at a practice, what the mood is going to be at a practice when a team loses by 20 plus points. The Nuggets hadn't lost by more than 20 points at any point this season. I believe they were the only team to not have lost by 20 points. At this point, the year before losing by, what was it, 21 or 22 in L.A. against the Clippers on Saturday. And you never know what the vibe of a team is going to be like off a loss like that and a loss where they give up 80-plus points in the paint. But things seem jolly at practice this morning. Maybe it was the holiday spirit. Maybe it was the gift exchange that the guys had after practice today. 
everybody seemed in a good mood. There was a good vibe in the building. Mike Malone said there was a good energy at practice today. What was the feeling you had walking out of there? Well, first of all, I just want to say that if you're going to come up with this idea to have a bold predictions podcast for Summer League, just spring it on me the morning I wake up, and then I'm wildly off on some of those bold predictions, then months later, you can't just keep killing me for those bold predictions, all well, right? I don't know. I was able to come up with a solid prediction that Malik Beasley would lead the Summer League team in scoring. That wasn't a bold prediction. <laughs> you right. decided to go out on a limb and say Tyler Lydon would <laughs> lead the team in scoring. I didn't think it was blasphemous by any means, but... I mean, it's not something I've forgotten. Yeah, that was a really hot take. Do you also think Nicole Jokic is good at basketball? Uh, decent player. Okay. Decent player. Right. I don't want to spend too much time on things that happened six months ago. Uh, it's, almost a, it's almost a different year now. I'm sorry for still being a little bit bitter about that. But you were right. Uh, they seemed like they were in a pretty upbeat mood today. And, you know, I, I think part of that was now that you're not – heated in the immediate aftermath of getting blown out you have a little perspective that this was the first time the nuggets really have been beaten down at all this season their their previous two largest margins of defeats both 10 points and their first 30 games of the season they were pretty much competitive in all of them this is the first time all, all year we've seen them not be competitive in a game and I'm not even sure that they would have gotten blown out by 20-plus points if Nikola Jokic hadn't gotten ejected in this game. Sure, they were down by 11, I believe, when he was ejected, that straight ejection, in the middle of the third quarter. Obviously, Denver never recovered after that. I wrote that night that he kind of left the building or, or left the court and took whatever chances the Nuggets had at winning that game with him. They weren't going to come back without Nikola Jokic. I mean, without him, they're pretty much seven deep. They had to go to Nick Young at that point, and then early in the fourth quarter, they turned things over to the end of their bench. So they weren't winning that game without him, but I'm not going to sit here and say if Nikola Jokic played the entire game, they would have surely lost by more than 20 points. I, I wouldn't have put it past them to keep things close. What do you think of the ejection? Let's start there. Obviously, a point of contention on Twitter Post game as well, we discussed it with Michael Malone and a couple players at practice here today. I can't remember the last time I've seen an ejection where a guy doesn't get a flagrant or a technical beforehand. It happens. It's happened many times. It's not something that's unbelievable or just like totally blasphemous, uh, but it's not something you ordinarily see. What were your thoughts on it? The Nuggets were down by 11 points when Jokic got tossed the 638 mark in the third quarter. They were down by 17 at the end of the third. That lead got up to in the 20s, the start of the fourth quarter. So you're right. Whatever lingering hopes the Nuggets were clinging to, um, they didn't have a chance after Nicole Jokic got tossed. I don't think they were going to win that game even if Jokic played. But yeah, it was pretty much game over at that point. And I thought it was a little harsh, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't think that you can toss any player, let alone a star player, without giving him a technical first. I mean, that's just how it works in the NBA. That that I mean, we're accustomed to seeing that. I can't remember the last time I saw a guy just get tossed without a T first for, for loudly protesting a call. It's not like he made physical contact with the ref. It's not like he made physical contact with another player, punched him or pushed him or anything like that. I don't think that was enough to, to warrant the straight ejection. I don't either, and I wouldn't have been surprised if at some point today we saw it rescinded, although we're sitting here at around 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon and nothing has come through, so I doubt we'll see anything now. People are scrambling to get Christmas presents today. 
<laughs> right. Right. Maybe the league office has better things to do. I thought it was a little harsh, too. Like I said, you don't usually see guys get thrown out automatically like that unless they're like throwing a punch, Brandon Ingram style, or you know, something of that matter. I will say, though, that you know, Nicole Jokic was far from being a model citizen, I'd say, throughout <laughs> most of this game. He was jawing with the officials. I was shocked he didn't pick up a technical earlier in the game where he hit a bucket and I believe got an and one call before he walked to the free throw line. He got right up in an official's face. And I, like I said, couldn't believe he didn't get a technical right then and there. So he probably should have been playing on one already. But I mean, that is on the official to give him one at that point and establish that precedent. And so I think you're right. He probably should have been whistled for a technical uh, there when he did get ejected. He shouldn't have been tossed for that. But he was not exactly staying silent the whole game. And that's been something we've talked about with Jokic over the past couple of seasons. Uh, Last year, it was a point that the Nuggets really wanted him to work on, him kind of keeping his temper down and keeping his cool when it comes to officials. He said in February last year that he was going to stop talking to officials totally. He said, it doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do my team any good. I mean, obviously, you can only keep that promise for so long. You're going to get heated over the course of a game. Uh, But this still is an area where he's growing and he has room to improve. Yeah, he was complaining way too much in the first half. I I don't think there's any question that the excessive amount of complaining he was doing over the first 24 minutes contributed to him getting tossed there abruptly in the third quarter. You know, I think you've got to pick your spots and be smart about when you're complaining if, you if you're Jokic. Because if you're just complaining after every single call, then you're going to stop getting the benefit of the doubt sometimes. I, I'm just not a fan of, you know, some of the star players like LeBron and James Harden complaining after every call. It's, yeah. it's just ridiculous. It's hard to watch sometimes. I mean, look, complain if it was a bad call. Complain if it was questionable. I'm, I'm much more of a fan of Gary Harris. Gary Harris only says something when they get it wrong. And, uh, you know, Jokic, I, th- I think it comes back to hurt him sometimes that he, they protest these foul calls when they're not really fouls. And I think that ends up hurting him when you look at some of the foul calls he doesn't get. Michael Malone said last week that Jokic is a legitimate MVP candidate. He should be in the top five if we were voting on MVP right here and now. He doesn't get officiated like an MVP candidate, though. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt that the LeBron James of the world, that the James Hardens of the world, that the Steph Currys or the Kevin Durants of the world do. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. The Nuggets haven't had the team success that those superstars have had. And with team success, with going further in the playoffs, you get more respect from officials. But his complaining and the flopping that he does, yes, Nikola Jokic does flop just like every star player in the league does. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Flopping in this day and age, it sucks, but it's a skill, right? It's a skill that James Harden is elite at. It's a skill that LeBron is really elite at, and it's just a leg up they have on a lot of other players, and they know how to take advantage of it. And I think maybe sometimes Nicola doesn't get the benefit of the doubt from officials because of sometimes how he flops and how demonstrative he is towards officials because he's not viewed in, in that same MVP light as those other guys. And, you know, I think what's particularly de- detrimental for Jokic is when he flops and then complains to the ref when they don't call it. Like when he's coming across the lane and they throw it to him kind of in the high post and Gortat just barely makes contact with him and he does one of those 
things where he like arches his stomach forward and he's like, oh, and then he stares at the ref for like a second before he goes back to attacking. Those are the plays he really needs to cut out of his game. Yeah, for sure. Marcin Gortat, who has had a history with Jokic going back to one of the first games of the year, I believe Denver's home opener, the beginning of the 27-18 season when Gortat was with the Wizards and Jokic bumped Wizards coach Scott Brooks on the way back to the huddle late in the game and I believe was whistled for a technical, right? Oh, he got a T in. Michael Malone accused Scott Brooks of flopping after the game. Which he did. Scott Brooks definitely flopped there. But after that game, Gortat said Jokic didn't respect the game and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And then after this game, Jokic scored, I believe, five of his seven field goals, came with Gortat as his closest defender. And then Gortat in the locker room tells reporters, quote, he's the biggest flopper in the history of the NBA not only in this year, in the league, in the history of the NBA, he's the biggest flopper, 300-pound dude and flopping all the time. 300 pounds? Do you think he's Boban? That was below the belt. Going at the guy's weight like that? Come on, man. Yeah, that is a little below the belt. It's funny, Jokic is friendly with a lot of international guys. Like, obviously, the likes of Boban, who is his fellow countryman from Serbia, He's really close with Nikola Vucevic, who he had over to his house for dinner the night before the Magic played the Nuggets here in Denver. Vucevic is from Montenegro. He's close with Luka Doncic, who was here last week, who's from Slovenia, another neighboring country. He's not especially close with Marcin Gortat, though. Nah, the Joker and the Polish Hammer, definitely not boys. The Polish Hammer, man, he's got some takes. He's got some takes, and it seems like his takes keep getting hotter and hotter as his career winds further down. Yeah, yeah. 20 minutes for Gortat, 2 of 5 from the field, 4 points. He was a plus 9, but Jokic definitely had his way with him when he wanted to. So yeah, Jokic finished with 19 points, 7 of 15 shooting, 6 rebounds, 3 assists in just 21 minutes. He led the team in scoring for a 6 straight game. That's why I'm saying... I don't think it's a sure thing that Denver would have gotten blown out by 20-plus if Jokic had stayed in the game. I know he was a minus 16, but he he was dealing still in this game. It was the aggressive Jokic, uh, the little pissed-off Jokic that we've seen over these last few games, over these last two weeks. He's still that guy. So overall, it was a good game from him. Uh, He just had his night cut short. Yeah, it's you know him managing his emotions when... There are calls he disagrees with is an ongoing battle, and that's really something I'm going to be looking out for in, in the playoffs when the emotions are, are only that much higher. Jokic is an emotional dude when he's out in the court. I mean, he's so even-keeled, calm, cool, and collected when he's, when he's outside of the lines. But, yeah, that dude runs pretty hot sometimes on the court. And he's at his best when he's emotional and really into the game and uh... – Know, directing his guys everywhere, pointing his out to his guys where to go and whatnot. But yeah, he's definitely got a toe the line a bit better. Michael Malone came to his defense today. I asked Malone about Jokic's ejection and how he gets treated from the officials. And, you know, Malone towed the line pretty well, but still really came to Jokic's defense. He said, I think his frustration was the perceived lack of calls against the Clippers last night. And I can understand his frustration. Malik Beasley told me today he's not sure why Jokic doesn't get more foul calls because, like I said, he is an MVP candidate at this point. He should be getting the benefit of the doubt from the officials. Uh, So, yeah, we'll see. 
Yeah, one other detail, Malone divulged at practice today. Jokic came up to him on the on the team flight home and, and just apologized for getting tossed in that game. He recognized that Denver was undermanned and that they just needed him to be out in the court. So Jokic, I think, understood that he was doing something kind of wrong and he shouldn't have been complaining that much. Right. I mean, after Jokic, Denver is now too deep in the front court if Jokic is in the locker room with Mason Plumley. And Trey Lyles, and of course they went small immediately when Jokic went out with Wancho at the four, but it's uh, very thin behind those two in the front court with Thomas Walsh as your third center, who did hit a three, hit two threes uh, in the fourth quarter against the Clippers. Thomas Walsh might be a solid backup NBA center one day, man. Yeah? You're in? I'm I'm optimistic. Okay, I'm going to hedge all my predictions okay. from now. On. I I just if you want to throw down a bold prediction right now, be my guest. Floor is open. I he just can shoot it. He plays really hard. Got a great attitude. He can definitely shoot it. He can definitely shoot it. Let's go ahead and hit a break real quick. More notes from this game on the other side. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. This podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right, as many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spano's here and he's gonna tell us a little bit about it. Yeah guys, this year alone, I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies games, Rapids games, Buffs games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows, so it's literally changed my life. <laughs> if it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right, all the events you can handle for less than $20 for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego, Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here. Monday edition of the show just came back from Nuggets practice on Sunday. Man, everybody was in a great mood today despite getting dropped by 20 points. I still can't believe they gave up 80 points in the paint. That's a figure you look at on the stat sheet and you go, that's got to be a misprint or something, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just brutal. Uh, I think one of the plays that sticks out in my mind is, uh, I believe in the third quarter, Montrezl Harrell just oh, yeah. got the rebound, dribbled it down the floor, and right around Trey Lyles and Mason Palmian went coast to coast. Montrezl Harrell should not be going coast to coast on you. So this Clippers team, this is a quick tangent here. We'll get back into this specific game in a few minutes. But this Clippers team reminds me of that 2013-2014 Nuggets team that was the third seed in the West, won like 33 or 31, something like that, games at home. Montrez Harrell is the Kenneth Three. Doc Rivers is George Carl. They got the Neil Gallinari on there. Ooh. Tobias Harris as Wilson Chandler. Uh, there's some other similarities too. Just a team without a superstar who plays really well together and just kind of plays their own brand of basketball. But Montrez Harrell, this guy looks like a freaking all-star against the Nuggets almost every time these two teams play. I don't know what it is. He didn't really go off in the opener, but he averaged something like 16 points, 10 rebounds against the Nuggets in three or four games last year, then goes off for 20 and 10 in just 19. Nine field goals. I'm sure like seven or eight of those were dunks. Uh, 
Denver sometimes has trouble with that athletic big who can get out and transition and really jump off the bench, I feel like. Julius Randle, sort of? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was an absolute beast in this game. I mean, he he's had a great season, but to go 9 of 11, 20 points, 10 rebounds in, in just 19 minutes on the floor – that's some unbelievable production. He grabbed three offensive rebounds. Denver got beat up pretty bad on, on the glass. Clippers grabbed 13 offensive rebounds in all, which was a lot because they never freaking missed in that game. So, right. yeah, I mean, he, he just destroyed them, man. I love watching that guy play. He just he just goes 100 miles an hour. He's a beast. He plays hard. He plays really hard. I'm still going to need to see it to believe it, and I'm talking about a big man winning six man of the year. I still think that award's probably going to go to a guard. But if a, a big man was going to win sixth man of the year, I think it could be Harrell. We need to move past just giving it to bucket getters off the bench because Monte Morris is not a bucket getter, but he should probably at least be in the conversation, right? Right. He should be. What he's done at the backup point guard spot, the assists he's piled up to the turnovers he hasn't piled up, just in terms of value, yeah, he should probably garner some consideration, but... He won't. <laughs> I think we know that. Yeah, this is Denver. <laughs> I want to talk about Jamal Murray and his game against the Clippers and really his season. Speaking of end-of-season awards, Jamal Murray was a guy a lot of people had pegged. He was probably the sexy candidate, if you will, for most improved player. He was that guy that the GMs picked as most improved player in that survey uh, they do at the beginning of the season. He was a very trendy pick for that award. And, you know, Jamal's had an okay season. He's scoring the ball. That's really the one thing he's doing for sure. I mean, he's averaging 17.5 points a game, up from 16.7 last year. You would kind of expect that on a few extra field goal attempts per game. Uh, but his efficiency is way down compared to it was last year. Shot 45% from the field a year ago. He's down to around 42.5%. I mean, he's got no touch from three-point range right now, still below 30% from three. We've kind of been talking about this topic all year. I've been pretty firm that I think he's going to get out of it. I don't think he's going to be hovering around 30% for much longer. But, I mean, the further and further we get into the season, I mean, we're 31 games in now. We're well past the third mark of the regular season. At what point do you become a little concerned here? Well, last year he got out of the gates really slow shooting the ball as well, and then he just turned a corner pretty much on December 1st. Um, his splits were pretty remarkable on that time. 25% from three, his first 21 games of 2017-18. Over his final 61 games, 41.3% on three-pointers. He finished the year at 38%. We are comfortably into December, almost at Christmas, January coming up, and Jamal Murray is shooting below 30% from the three-point line. He is, he's not turned the corner. You know, we we spent a lot of time this summer talking about, oh, Jamal needs to take those pull-up threes in transition. He <laughs> oh, needs yeah. to take those those curry shots. I think that was mainly me, and I was, I've turned out to be really wrong on that. Well, yeah, that, that has not been a productive shot for him this season. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit more later, but Really where Jamal is struggling right now is just making the wide-open threes. Uh, NBA.com tracks wide-open three-point attempts. Uh, they consider wide-open anytime the closest defender is six feet away or further. Jamal's getting three three of those a game. He's making them at just a 31% rate. 
Last year, he was at 42.5% on wide open threes. So I think that Jamal is getting good looks. And I think that shot selection is playing a little part of this, like Michael Bowen said. But I think mostly a guy who's been a great shooter for most of his life is not making shots. That's what it seems like it is to me. If I'm trying to rank how concerned I am on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being... This is Jamal Murray we're talking about. He's going to turn this around and wind up shooting 38% this year like he did last year. He's probably going to shoot around 40 or above 40% in January and February, and he'll be fine. 10 would be, yeah, I don't think he's a good shooter. What we saw last year wasn't true. He, he runs too hot and cold to be a consistent shooter. That's what 10 would be. I'd say I'm at a 2. I'm not very concerned, but at this point last season, like you mentioned, he turned the corner and he had a great December. He had a great January, but in December so far this year, he's shooting 24.5% from three. And in November, he shot 33% from distance. So he's trending downward right now, which isn't a good sign. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm not that concerned. I'm, I would say I'm like a two or a three or something like that. We know this guy's a good shooter. I mean, in 2015-16, his lone season at Kentucky, he had 113 three-pointers, shot it uh, above 40%. That was the second most three-pointers made by a college freshman ever, right behind Steph Curry. Trey Young uh, you know, beat his record last year, but I think Jamal Murray is a really freaking good shooter. I mean, he was above 90% from the free throw line last year. That doesn't happen very often, especially for a guy his age. I, I just don't understand why they're not going in. I mean, this is 30 games. I, I don't know. I mean, Michael Malone kind of hinted today that, that injuries have played a, a part in it, perhaps. I mean, he's been banged up. That's that's really the only thing I can point to. Yeah, he had the shin contusion last week, uh, a couple weeks ago that he was playing through. Both ankles have been giving him trouble at one point or another this year, even going back to before training camp. I believe he's still wearing ankle braces on both ankles. You spoke to him today. You spent a little bit of time today with him. Where does his mind seem to be at right now? Does he seem pretty confident that he'll be able to pull out of this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he his quote was, just stay the course when, you know, I kind of asked him, how does he get back on track shooting the ball from outside? I asked him specifically about those those pull-up threes in transition because I do think that's one area of the game that it's clearly not working out for him so far. He's shooting 25% on pull-up threes this season, uh, more than two attempts per game. Here's his quote. It's part of my game. It's one of my favorite shots. It's a momentum changer. It's the same thing as an open three. That's why I take it. Everybody wants me to shoot it. It hasn't gone in the way I needed to, but that's fine. It will change. I agree that it is an open three, but it's not as easy of a shot as when you're just standing still. Right. It's a difficult shot. You're coming down the court 100 miles per hour. You got to pull up on a dime. Usually you're fading way forward on those shots. You end up like two or three or four feet inside the three-point line when you finally land after one of those threes. But I want Jamal to keep taking them. That's how confident I am that his three-point shot is going to turn around here really quick. Those are such momentum changers, like he said. To an extent, maybe it's worth it. I don't know what the... Uh, maybe there's some calculation you can do on if him taking those threes is worth it even if he misses three out of four of them, if that one three he makes and the momentum it gives Denver is worth him missing the next three. I want him to stick with those. I, I like that shot. I know he's not hitting it. It's the one thing you like about Jamal. While maybe some guys would get a bit hesitant in a slump like this, 
Uh, he's not going to. And look, the Nuggets probably need him to take those shots right now down three starters. This offense, it's been solid. They've really been holding their head above water, even without Millsap, Gary Harrison, Will Barton in the starting lineup. But they're still looking for offense at every corner. They're still looking for anything they can get. So especially now, I think he should still be shooting that type of shot if he's got it. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think he should probably keep taking those, you know, within reason. I thought the only ill-advised shot I saw him take in that Clippers game was when at the end of the first half, there were like 15 seconds on the shot clock. He took a couple dribbles and then he took that, that 16 footer with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. That was a little bit too early. He attacked a little bit too early. It gave the time, the, the Clippers time to rebound the ball, get it down court. Tobias Harris gets fouled on a three point attempt. And all of a sudden the Nuggets are going into halftime down nine points instead of six. So that was the only just real head scratcher I, I saw from him. Other than that, I thought he was getting good quality of shots. It's kind of a shame that he's having this this shooting slump in a season where I think he's picked up his, his all-around game. I think he's definitely defending at a, a higher level than I've seen him in the past. I think his playmaking has picked up significantly lately. What, do you have 15 assists in that game mm-hmm. earlier this week? I mean, he's averaging five assists per game by far, career high. I mean, really, the only area he hasn't improved in, in my opinion, and he's he's regressed is... His best area of the game is outside shot. Yeah, for sure. So I think both of us think he's going to pull out of it here. Maybe it happens over the next couple games. We'll see. I mean, Murray's not the only one struggling right now. Wancho, who was shooting lights out from three-point range over the first two months of the season from October through November, has struggled here as of late, shooting 33% from three in the month of December has really been trending downwards as well. I do like that you brought up that Murray shot, though, at the end of the quarter. That's like some high school basketball curriculum that you know to do at the end of quarters and at the end of halves. I don't know why he shot that. Did your high school basketball coach say, time and score all the time? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm sure we had that printed on the back of our shorts at one point, you know? Yeah, that's like (laughs) one of the... The main things a high school basketball coach yells is time and score. Right. Got to know time and score and situation. But most of all, probably Denver just needs to get some healthy bodies back. How long has it been since Will Barton has played a game? It seems like it's been years. He's been out since the second game of the season. Gary Harris getting closer to returning. Michael Malone offered a bit of an update at practice today saying that both those guys participated in portions of practice. I can't imagine they went through any five-on-five or anything or, you know, any full contact or whatnot. I'm sure he would have said it if they did. But those guys are getting closer. Um, You have any more of an idea of when they might be back here? Yeah, he maybe hinted that um, Gary Harris and and Will Barton could be back before the new year. Um, It sounds like those two guys have been going through certain parts of practice so that's encouraging, but yeah, they, they need reinforcements. I mean, they've, they've done a great job of holding their heads above water while they're, they're without three starters, but I mean, you're just not going to consistently beat good West teams in the West uh, if you don't have those three guys. Yeah, the read I got was the earliest maybe next Friday against the Spurs at home, and then they've got a back-to-back at Phoenix that Saturday and then they come back and host the Knicks on January 1st. 
If I'm a betting man, I'm going to say January 1st, but at the earliest, maybe December 28th. Yeah, it'd be great to have Will Barton back in the place where he almost fought somebody over comments he made in a podcast. Yeah, mark that down as another one of my bold predictions, by the way. What's Troy Daniels doing these days? Troy Daniels is still on the Suns, I think playing about the same role that he did last year. Troy Daniels, 2019 New Year's resolution. Don't get so fired up over what people say in podcasts. I wonder who's on that team from last year. Tyson Chandler, the one guy Will Barton said should not be sent to the G League. He's no longer on the Suns, so you 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 don't have to worry about him. But I think for a large part, same roster is is still there. So who knows? We'll see what happens that, that night in Phoenix. Another trend, though, that I'm seeing with this team, along with like Murray and Juan Show not really being able to shoot, is the defense kind of regressing here over these last 10 games. This defense still firmly in the top five this year, like they've been for most of the season, but they're 16th in defense over the last 10 games, so some regression there. I think both of us kind of thought this was coming. I still think they settle in at around maybe the 10th best defense when it's all said and done this year, which is still obviously an enormous improvement uh, from last year, but we're seeing some regression there. That's to be expected with the bodies the Nuggets are missing right now. Uh, and you know the fact that these last two games, the defense hasn't exactly been great against Dallas and then against the Clippers in Los Angeles in a matinee on Saturday, which can never be good if you're a visiting team. But we're seeing some regression here uh, with the defense. Any concern there for you? Or, I mean, this is kind of expected, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not that concerned at all. Gary Harris and Paul Millsap are, are probably the team's two best defenders, right? Yeah, I mean, Paul Millsap is clearly number one. Number two, you could probably make an argument that it's Mason Plumley or, or Gary Harris, but Gary has a good argument for that. So they definitely miss those guys a ton. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously a huge factor. And I think teams were missing a lot of, of open three-point attempts against Denver at the early yep. part of the season. That's a thing that's you know largely due to randomness. I, we saw that starting to shift a little bit, especially that uh, Orlando game when they hit a bazillion threes, but... Yeah, it's to be expected. I still think the Nuggets are a good defensive team. I just don't know if they're going to finish in the top five this year. One encouraging trend, the shooting from Murray and Aaron Gomez here as of late, not super encouraging. An encouraging trend, though, is that Trey Lyles seems to be rediscovering a bit of his form on the offensive end of the floor. This guy hasn't really shot the ball well this year. Seems like he's lacked a little bit of confidence on offense here for most of the season, but now two decent games back to back, 13 points against the Clippers, five of eight shooting, hit a three, went two or three from the line, uh, which is good for him in 18 minutes. So that's going to be huge for Denver if they can get Trey Lyles going here. The last missing piece on Denver's bench that hasn't really gotten going this season. Look, they need him to step up. They probably needed him to step up a bit earlier with all these injuries. It would have been nice to get this production from him, double-digit scoring right when Will Barton and Gary Harris and now Paul Millsap went down, but I guess better late than never. Do you expect Denver to continue rolling with the the starting front court of Jokic and Plumlee? You know, I do. Look, what we know about Michael Malone is he's not going to change things if it doesn't work in one game. And I know Denver's lost two games here, but I definitely got to think they've won enough games with the Jokic and Plumlee front court. They've played well enough with those two together that 
I don't think he's going to change that up right now. You know, we'll see how these next couple of games go. But no, I would anticipate both those guys start here definitely in San Antonio on Wednesday. What about you? Yeah, I, I think they'll continue rolling with it. Plumlee and Jokic has been a good combo for them this year. And Lyles and and uh, Jokic, I mean, if you just look at the overall numbers, it hasn't been great for them. And now you got Lyles in a bit of a groove off the bench. So I don't think you want to mess with that if you've got him you know, comfortable in his role now, playing around 20 minutes a game and playing decent on both ends of the floor. I don't think you want to tinker with that if you don't have to. We've got some more to get to here on the podcast, but before we do... Really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft Coffee is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. You guys, make sure to check them out. Again, Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-infused coffee that's taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is also all-natural, not psychoactive. The coffee is also rich and tasty. We cannot recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. Again, get your shipment of Strava Craft Coffee for 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego. We got one question to get to on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline today. Let's go there right now. Hey, Christian Harrison. It's the Ranch Man. Uh, saw an interesting article in The Ringer, uh, Bill Simmons' article, and he adopted the Michelin restaurant rating system, uh, one to three, three being the best, and he was rating upcoming uh, either NBA free agents or players that someone might have an interest in uh, trading for. And I thought there's some interesting stuff, much more interesting than the L.A. Clippers outcome, certainly. But, hey, those games are going to happen now and then. So uh, here's some stuff I gleaned from the article. One, Gary Harris and Will Barton didn't make his list and are not even included as honorable mentions. Uh, I thought that was surprising, particularly uh, in the case of Gary Harris. Uh, secondly... Jamal Murray was ranked as the 47th best uh, player on his list. Uh, he was in one of the later groups uh, defined as, quote, he's worth more to us than he is to another team. Zero Michelin stars. And I thought it was interesting to see that he isn't as well thought of, at least by Mr. Simmons, as uh, we might have presumed. Then someone that Jamal is often associated with, Buddy Heald, he was 34, so 13 spots better, and was uh, included in this category. No thanks. We don't want to train him because we don't want him coming back to haunt us. Also zero Michelin stars. Personally, I don't think he's as good as Murray, but in Denver, maybe we're living in the Murray echo chamber. Uh, then there was a Group D categorized as true franchise guys and included two players at 14 and 13, and only two, Damian Lillard and Victor Oladipo. Uh, Nikola, Nikola Jokic, he was rated seventh overall, including the untouchable category given two Michelin stars. Uh, pretty impressive. Now, if you could just get his maturity up to two Michelin stars to equal his talent, you know, there's no telling what his ceiling might be. 
uh, and the other players in that category, Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Luka Doncic, a pretty good company there. And finally, at the top of the mountain, numbering four to one in ascending order, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Anthony Davis, and Giannis, the Greek freak. Pretty interesting to read. Thanks for your efforts. I'm out. Thanks for answering for the call. I'm glad you brought this up because this is one of my favorite articles that Bill Simmons does. I know he hasn't done the trade value in quite a while. What were your thoughts on it? Not having Gary Harris in uh, the top 55 here. Personally, not too surprised that Will Barton wasn't on the list. I mean, I don't think he's a guy you really think of when it comes to trade value. He's a little older, probably at kind of his ceiling, but Gary Harris, you know, who's just 24 on a very team-friendly contract here with seemingly a relatively high ceiling that he can still get to, at least in my mind, left off this list. What did you think? Uh, that was pretty egregious. I mean, to, ha- to have C.J. McCollum 29th and not even have Gary Harris on the list, I-, I have a difficult time understanding. I think Gary and C.J. are pretty similar in terms of their impact on the game. CJ is obviously better at attacking off the dribble than Gary and creating in that way. I think Gary is definitely a better defender. So they're pretty even in my mind. And Gary, uh, you don't got to pay him as much as CJ. Um, CJ's owed 25 mil, 2018-19, goes up to 27, then 29. Gary's at 16.5 this year, then 18, 19, and then 20 and 21, 22. So I think that's a very reasonable deal from a Nuggets perspective um, for a player who's pretty much as good as CJ McCollum. I'll tell you this. The most egregious ranking on here was Buddy Heald at 34. I know Buddy Heald's had a good year. Uh, We now know he's 26, not 25. Simmons has always had a thing for Buddy Heald. Has he? Yeah. He literally tweeted during the NCAA tournament, Buddy's balls are out on the table. So Gary Harris is two years younger than Buddy Heald, like pretty much two full years younger. If you want to be exact, one year and nine months. He's better than Buddy Heald at this point. He's, in my mind, got around the same ceiling as Buddy Heald, like an all-star ceiling. I'm not sure why Gary Harris wouldn't be on this list, let alone above Buddy Heald, even if you think Buddy Heald is 25, which a lot of people did before a couple days ago when he revealed to the world he's actually a year older than everybody thought he was. He's still older than Gary Harris. Yeah, I don't really get that one. The other one I think was a little off, and I love this guy. I think he's a nice franchise cornerstone for Sacramento. I think he's one of the bright young point guards in this league, but... Darren Fox at 15. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I know he's had a good year, but that might be a little high for Darren Fox. I do have to give Simmons props because I think he's realized how good Jokic is for a while. I remember after that 2016-17 breakout year, I believe Simmons voted him third-team All-NBA. He had him seventh on his uh, trade value list here as the untouchables, and I agree. Nikola Jokic is untouchable. I don't think there's one player in the NBA the Nuggets would trade him for just because of what he means to the city and how he's given this franchise an identity, really. Is he three Michelin stars for you, or is he two, like Simmons had him at? He's three for me. He is appointment viewing. Like I would consider three Michelin stars to be in the category of, oh, if he's playing, I absolutely have to watch this game. I mean, maybe we're in the echo chamber, as Ranchman said, of the Denver Nuggets, but he's three stars for me. Yeah, I mean, Simmons was uh, 
pretty choosy doling out the, the three-star ratings. Only four guys got them, LeBron, Steph, AD, and Giannis. Uh, I could see an argument for both sides. He, I mean, he's must-see TV for every night for me. Um, I don't know. I think I'd rather watch Jokic than Anthony Davis. Really? Anthony Davis is really fun to watch. I, he's not Jokic level for me, though. Yeah, I guess it depends what you like to watch. I mean, I I particularly appreciate passing. Um, I, I don't know if that makes me a basketball hipster or whatever, but, I mean, that's what I like to watch. So I, I've had more fun watching Jokic than almost anybody these last couple of seasons. Well put. All right, I think that's a good place to end it. Again, I want to remind you guys, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We really appreciate the five-star reviews. If you got questions for the show, the Total Beverage Hotline is 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. Also, send in your submissions. Hit me on Twitter. Hit me on my email for our best of 2018 pod, which we'll be recording this week. Your favorite memories, moments, games, highlights, quotes from the 2018 calendar year. Send them in to us. We'll compile a big list and go through them on a podcast later this week. You got any more predictions you want me to make before we get out of here? Uh, I think I'm going to lay off for now. All right, just let me know. Just let me know. I'll be right here. All right, that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with another episode on Tuesday. Talk to you then. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com.